Blog Talk Radio.
The following sermon is by John MacArthur, pastor, author, and Bible teacher with Grace to You. If you've never contacted Grace to You, we want to send you a free book by John called Good News, the Gospel of Jesus Christ. It expounds on the central message of Christianity, that Jesus Christ lived and died to save sinners. Request your free book by writing to goodnews at gty.org. That's goodnews at gty.org. And this offer is good in North America and Europe through December 2020. And now, unleashing God's truth one verse at a time, here's grace to you, Bible teacher John MacArthur. Let's uh, get to Romans 8, okay? We have been looking rather carefully and in depth at the opening verses of this incredible chapter. It is a chapter basically dedicated to the ministry of the Holy Spirit who secures our no-condemnation status until we enter eternal glory. This uh, is a remarkable chapter. It begins with no condemnation, and it ends, 39 verses later, with no separation. It is a promise of the security of the believer. We will never be condemned because we are in Christ and He was condemned in our place, and nothing can separate us from the love of God which is ours in Christ Jesus our Lord. This no condemnation, no separation status, this life of protection that brings us from justification to glorification is the work of the Holy Spirit. As I said a few weeks ago, Holy Spirit's only mentioned once or twice in the first seven chapters of Romans and now 19 times in chapter 8. So clearly, this is the Holy Spirit's chapter. And I want you to understand the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of believers so that you will understand what God is doing in your life and so that you'll be able to worship and thank the Spirit of God for that work. But as we think about this, let me read for you the opening 11 verses and get the context in mind. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, 
yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. There's a lot there. And we've been talking about this section for four weeks. And what I want to remind you of is that this is clearly a definitive distinction between a non-believer and a believer. Someone who has been regenerated, born again, transformed, converted, whatever language you want to use, and the unaided condition of the sinner. There is a difference between sinners and saints. We have looked at this uh, several ways, and I want to look at it again, the same text we've looked at the last, at least last week, and pull out some things that I think are important for us. But I, I want you to understand that this descriptive pathology distinguishing the non-Christian from the Christian is God's universal distinction. This is the pathology that God Himself defines for us. There is a clear, dramatic, miraculous, supernatural difference between a non-Christian and a Christian. But before we look at that in some detail, I want also to mention one other thing. The best way to understand the work of the Holy Spirit in the believer, the best way to understand what it means to be in the Spirit, minding the things of the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, and ultimately ending up in life and peace, is to look at the Lord Jesus Christ. Because what the Spirit does in the believer is essentially what He did in Christ. Obviously, in our case, relative to our humanness and our sinfulness. But there is a very clear example laid out in the New Testament of how the Spirit of God ministered in the life and work of the Lord Jesus. And what He does for us is simply the same kind of work distinguished by the difference between us and the sinless Son of God, but nonetheless a very similar work. If you understand the ministry of the Spirit in Christ, then you will understand His ministry in your life. So let's take a look at that. What did the Holy Spirit do in the life and ministry of our Lord Jesus? First of all, the Holy Spirit was Christ's inseparable companion. His inseparable companion. All the activities of His life occurred in the presence of and by the power of the Holy Spirit. From the womb to the tomb to the throne, the Holy Spirit was active in the life of the Son of God. Let me take you back to where it all started. Luke chapter 1. In Luke chapter 1, we have the angel Gabriel in verse 26 coming to Nazareth and speaking to Mary. In verse 30, the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, 
And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High, which is another name for the Holy Spirit, will overshadow you, and for that reason the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. This is to say that the Holy Spirit is the one who gave life to the Son in the womb of Mary. The power of the Most High is the Holy Spirit. And just as He hovered over creation to bring it to fruition and form, so it is that the Holy Spirit was the one by whom the Holy One of God was conceived in the womb of Mary. You could say, He gave life to the incarnate Son of God. If you follow the story in Luke, look into the second chapter. The next thing we learn about Christ is something of His development. Down in verse 40 of chapter 2, it says, "...the child continued to grow and become strong, increasing in, in wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him." Verse 49 says, He said to them, Why is it that you were looking for Me? Did you not know that I had to be in My Father's house? Verse 52, And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. This too, this spiritual maturation, this growth and development of the Son of God is also the work of the Holy Spirit. Not only was He literally created in the womb of Mary by the Spirit. But listen to Isaiah chapter 11. It says there, then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse. In other words, the Messiah will be a descendant of Jesse and through Jesse, David, the Davidic line. As Luke pointed out, the shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. Then this describes the Messiah with relation to the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge, and of the fear of the Lord. So what Isaiah prophesied there is that the Spirit of the Lord would come upon the Messiah with wisdom and knowledge and understanding. And that is exactly what Luke 2 is saying. He kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Isaiah 42 verse 1 says, Behold My servant, I have put My Spirit upon Him. The Spirit is the one who gave Him life. The Spirit is the one who gave Him that development in wisdom and knowledge. If you look at Mark chapter 1, you come to the baptism of our Lord. Verse 9, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, was baptized by John in the Jordan. Immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opening and the Spirit descending like a dove upon him. And a voice came out of the heavens, You are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. The Spirit is the one who gave him life in the womb. The Spirit is the one who came upon him so that he grew in wisdom and stature and knowledge. The Spirit was there at his baptism, which was his affirmation as the Messiah, as the Son of God, as the suffering servant. The Spirit was there 
to mark Him as the fulfillment of all Old Testament prophecy regarding the Anointed One. Immediately after that, if you look at Mark 1, verse 12, the Spirit impelled Him to go out into the wilderness, and He was in the wilderness forty days being tempted by Satan. It was also the Spirit that compelled Him to go into the temptation to confront the kingdom of darkness and its monarch, Satan himself. The Spirit literally drove Him out into that confrontation. He drove Him into a conflict with Satan so that His power over Satan and His hosts could be demonstrated. All through His ministry, He had control over Satan. He had control over demons as we learn from the Gospel account. So the Holy Spirit serves as the divine strategist who maps out the battle terrain and directs His warrior king into the strategic place of conflict, into the holy war, which was waged not just in the beginning at the temptation, but throughout His entire life, even ending in the garden. The Holy Spirit was there as the strategist, putting Him in the right place at the right time to demonstrate His power over Satan. The Holy Spirit prepared Him and brought Him in to battle to vanquish the enemy. The Holy Spirit was there to launch His public ministry. After the temptation, according to Luke chapter 4, the temptation appears again here as it does elsewhere in the opening 13 verses, but pick it up in verse 14. And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about Him began spreading through all the surrounding district. And He began teaching in their synagogues and was praised by all. And He came to Nazareth where He had been brought up, and as was His custom, He entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet was handed to Him, and He opened the book and found the place where it was written. This is Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And He closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on Him, and He began to say to them, Today this Scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. He comes out of His temptation right into His ministry. And as the Spirit led Him into temptation, it says in verse 14 that the Spirit also led Him into ministry in beginning in Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit. His whole ministry was empowered by the Spirit of God. He walked perfectly in the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. In fact, in Matthew chapter 12, the familiar portion of Scripture, the leaders of Israel had said about him that he did what he did by the power of, of Satan, Beelzebul, that title for Satan. They said he was satanic. And Jesus said this is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Why did he say that? Because it was the Holy Spirit who was ministering in him and through him and to discount his work and to attach it to Satan was then to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. So His very conception in the womb of Mary was the work of the Spirit. His growth and development was the work of the Spirit. His baptism or the inaugural event that put Him 
into the place of identity as the Messiah and launched Him was in the presence of the Spirit. His temptation was directed by the Spirit. His ministry was a ministry in and through the Spirit. And then even in His death. A marvelous statement is made in Hebrews 9.14. It says, "...the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God." The blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God. Even in His dying, He was under the power of the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit who empowered Him to die. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 4, we also read that it was the Holy Spirit who raised Him from the dead. Romans 1.4, He was declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the Spirit of holiness. Literally, He died under the power of the Spirit and He was raised in the power of the Spirit. And even after His resurrection, He ministered for 40 days. In Acts chapter 1, it says He was teaching until the day He was taken up to heaven after He had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom He had chosen. For 40 days, He taught the things of the kingdom in the power of the Holy Spirit. You can see how at every point in His life and ministry, the Holy Spirit is active in Him. He submits Himself to the will of the Father and the power of the Holy Spirit, so much so that to denounce Him is to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. So the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ was a ministry basically operating in and through Him by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that is why in John 16 and verse 7, in that wonderful section where our Lord promises the coming of the Holy Spirit, He says this, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send Him to you. And the Helper, of course, is no other than the Holy Spirit. Back in chapter 15, verse 26, when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He will testify about Me. Jesus said, it's better for Me to go and send you the Spirit. What do you mean it's better? Why would it be better? Because I have been with you, He will be in you. I have been with you, He will be in you. The Spirit has been with you in Me, and He will be in you. Better that I go and the Spirit come, because He will take up residence in you. So summing all of that up, the same work that He did in Christ he does in the believer in a way relative to our own fallen limitations. He gives us life. If you're a Christian, it's because you were born of the Spirit. New birth, regeneration. He grows you into Christ's likeness. If you increase in wisdom and stature and knowledge, it's because you are growing into Christ's likeness under the work of the Spirit. 2 Corinthians 3.18, as we gaze at the glory of the Lord, we go from one level of glory to the next, to the next, to the next by the Holy Spirit. He is the one who grows us up into Christ's likeness. He is the one 
according to 1 Corinthians 12, who baptizes us into the body of Christ. He is the one who provides the path of victory in temptation. He is the one who gives us the power to defeat Satan. He is the one who gives us the ability to overcome suffering. Peter calls Him the Spirit of glory who is with us in our suffering. He is the one, according to verse 11, if you're back in Romans 8, He is the one in verse 11 of chapter 8 who will raise us from the grave. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. The parallels are striking. He not only gives us power in life, He gives us power over death and raises us as He raised Christ. In the meantime, before our death and resurrection, He empowers us for ministry as He empowered our Lord. Listen to Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be My witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, even to the remotest part or even to the ends of the earth. This is the work of the Spirit in us, giving us life, causing us to grow in grace and knowledge and wisdom into Christ's likeness. He marks us out as belonging to the Lord by placing us into His church through spiritual baptism. He empowers us for conflict and triumph over Satan. He enables us to win the victory against the enemy, gives us power over suffering, brings us the ability to give witness and testimony by His power to the ends of the earth, one day He will raise us from the dead. So the Holy Spirit comes to be our constant companion and do for us what He did for our Lord. With that kind of an introduction, let's look back at this text for just a few moments. This chapter is about the Holy Spirit. He's mentioned 19 times in this chapter. This is His chapter. It is He who brings us to glory. It is He who secures our no-condemnation status all the way to the very end. And how does He do this? How does the Spirit work in our lives? First of all, we've already learned in verses 2 and 3 that He frees us from sin and death. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. What the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And as an offering for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. Through the sacrifice of Christ, who took our sin on Himself, bore our sin under the wrath of God, thus giving God the prerogative to forgive us, set us free from the law of sin and death because the sacrifice was paid. The Spirit then gave us life to accomplish that divine end. The Spirit is the one who frees us from sin and death and applies the work of Christ on the cross to us. Second thing we learned is He then enables us to keep God's law. Verse 4, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Now, if you are a believer, you are able to fulfill the law of God. He enables us to fulfill the law of God, which you never could do prior to that regenerating work. Until the Spirit of life has given us life, 
freed us from the law of sin and death, we couldn't fulfill the law of God. Now we can. The third thing that we noticed here, and this is the thing that I want to look at a little more today, how does He enable us to keep God's law? How does He free us from sin and death? He does it thirdly by changing our nature. By changing our nature. It is a deep, profound change at the very core level of our personhood. He changes our nature. Back to verse 4. The law can be fulfilled by those who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. There's a new life principle. There's a new life power here. It is according to the Spirit. And those who are according to the flesh, verse 5, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. There you have the pathology of the believer and the non-believer. The non-believer operates according to the flesh, has the mind of the flesh, and he walks in the flesh. The one who has been regenerated is according to the Spirit, has the mind of the Spirit, and walks in the Spirit. The non-believer's end is death. The believer's end is life and peace. The Holy Spirit changes our nature. That is essential to understand. Throughout all the years of my life and ministry, I have written time and time again, preached time and time again on this basic principle, Christianity 101. If you are a true Christian, you are a new creation. Old things have passed away. New things have come. You once were the slave of sin. You now are the slave of righteousness. You once loved the world. You now love the kingdom of God. You once were marked by sin and only sin. You were, as we saw last week, hostile toward God, verse 7, not subject to the law of God, not even able to be subject to the law of God, and verse 8, not able to please God. That is the condition, that is the sort of pathology of the non-believer, the unconverted person. Operating in the flesh, with the mind of the flesh, with the behavior of the flesh, hating God, unable to submit to God's law, cannot please God. That's non-believers. But the reverse of that is that those who are according to the Spirit, verse 5, mind the things of the Spirit and they walk in the Spirit, as verse 4 says. So this is the description that sets these two categories apart. Total transformation. God doesn't divide people by any other means. doesn't divide them by race or sex, education, possessions, culture. There's just two kinds of people in the world. Those who are according to the flesh and those who are according to the Spirit. Those who are according to the flesh, who think fleshly things, who behave in fleshly ways, who are headed toward death, spiritual death and eternal death, are those without God. Those who have been transformed by the Holy Spirit now live according to the Spirit, think according to the Spirit, walk according to the Spirit, 
and the direction is life and peace. Look, this is a simple thing to understand, but it escapes so many people. You cannot claim to be a Christian unless your life is transformed. The bent of your thoughts and affections and pursuits and behaviors and actions is the only decisive test of salvation. It's not what you did in the past. It's not that you are religious. It's not that you prayed a prayer. It's not that you asked Jesus to save you. No. What distinguishes a believer is character. Character. His life is according to the Spirit. He thinks the things of the Spirit. He walks in the Spirit in the direction of spiritual life and peace. This is the divine diagnosis of the human heart. And you're in either one or the other of these categories. That's what we looked at last time. The basic reality is that if you're still according to the flesh, you are hostile toward God, not subject to the law of God, not able to be subject to it, and you cannot please God, and you're headed for eternal death. That's what the Scripture says. We're talking about the bent, the disposition, the direction of your life, the controlling internal influence of your life. And I've said it this way a few times in the past. You know someone is a believer basically because you look at three things. Number one, love. True believers love the Lord. They love what the Lord loves. They love the church. They love the Word of God. They love other believers. And they even love those who need to be loved evangelistically. They're marked by love. Second thing they're marked by is humility. They're broken people. They have recognized their sin. They have confessed their sin, repented of their sin, come to Christ for their sins to be forgiven. So they understand their weakness very, very well. They've, they've made the ultimate recognition of their own wretchedness. There's a humility built into that, and their life continues to be marked by that humility. They bow the knee eagerly and willingly to the Lord who is their sovereign. And the third thing is obedience. True believers obey the Word of God. That's the bent of their life. Not perfectly. We already went over that in Romans 7. We struggle because we're still this new person. This new creation is still incarcerated in unredeemed human flesh. And so we don't do what we want to do. We do what we don't want to do. We struggle. But the bent of our life is clear. So when you look at somebody and you say, I wonder if that person is a believer. There's just one thing you look at. Character. Character. Not confession. Not religious activity. But character. Do they indulge the flesh? If they do, they're corrupt. It's that simple. People can hide their true condition in religion. They do in the church all the time. That's why Jesus said the church will have true wheat and tares and they'll be growing alongside each other and you won't be able to tell the difference because people hide their corruption in religion. That is a little harder to discover. When, when people appear to have evidences of transformation, but they're superficial, they're fraudulent, they're fake, they're hypocritical. I'll give you an illustration of that. It might help. Back in the book of Amos, 
The prophet Amos, you may remember, was from the southern kingdom, Judah, but he was called by God to prophesy and preach to the northern kingdom of Israel that was going to go into captivity. And he was very firm in preaching judgment to come. But look at chapter 4. It's a good illustration. In chapter 4, as uh, the prophet Amos speaks to the people of the northern kingdom Israel, he says down in verse 4, we just pick it up in the middle, bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days. He's describing what they are doing. Offer a thank offering also from that which is leavened, and proclaim free will offerings. Make them known. For so you love to do, you sons of Israel, declares the Lord God. That sounds good. You love to bring your sacrifices every morning at the morning sacrifice. You love to bring your tithes every three days. You love to bring the thank offering, which was green. You love to proclaim free will offerings. You love to do all of this. This is religion. But if you go over to chapter 5, verse 21, the Lord says this through Amos, I hate, I reject your festivals, nor do I delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer up to me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. I will not even look at the peace offerings of your fatlings. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not even listen to the sound of your harps. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. In other words, I, I reject all of this religion. I want justice and righteousness. Verse 25, did you present me with sacrifices and grain offerings in the wilderness for 40 years, O house of Israel? You also carried along Sukkoth, your king, and Kian, your images, the star of your gods, which you made for yourselves. He's referring to Moloch, the, the god that basically required babies to be sacrificed. He's referring to Saturn as if Saturn could be worshipped as a god and other star gods which they had made. What he is saying is in the wilderness you had all these other gods. Therefore, verse 27, I will make you go into exile beyond Damascus, says the Lord whose name is the God of hosts. All of that to illustrate the fact you can be very religious on the surface and be completely rejected by God because your religion is fraudulent. It is phony. Under the surface you have other gods that you worship. So it is possible that you can look like a Christian, you can act like a Christian, you can play the game like a Christian and not be a Christian. But the other is not possible. It is not possible for you to actually be a regenerated Christian and not manifest that new life. If you have been born of the Spirit, you are walking in the Spirit, you are a servant of righteousness, you love God, you love His Word, you love His church, you love His people, you're humble and obedient, happily, joyfully obedient to His Word. It's just critical to understand that. If you're wondering in your mind, is 
my spouse or my kids or somebody I know, a believer, what does their character tell you? It's possible that somebody who behaves on the outside like a Christian should behave is not a Christian, but it's not possible that someone who is a Christian behaves like they're not a Christian. You understand that? And people say, well, you know, I remember when he prayed the prayer. I remember when she uh, said she gave her life to Christ. That's, that's, a, that's a point in history that may or may not have any significance at all. The, the judgment must be rendered on the basis of character. Life and peace is a gift of God to those who have been transformed. Now, life, sweet communion with the Lord, eternal life, peace, meaning the reconciliation with God that has been secured forever. We have been reconciled to God. That's peace with God. And it disperses to us the peace of God. We have an internal peace because we have an external peace with God. That's the difference. Those who are unregenerate move forward toward death. Those who are regenerate move forward toward life and peace. Now, I want you to look at verse 9. And that was a lot of review, but I want to go down to verse 9. Here we have the description of the believer. However, you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. In other words, he's saying, you, the word however moves us from those who are according to the flesh, minding the things of the flesh, behaving in a fleshly way, walking in the flesh, and headed toward death. And now He distinguishes us. You are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. How do you know if the Spirit of God dwells in you? Because if the Spirit of God dwells in you, you mind the things of the Spirit and you walk in the Spirit. That's not perfection, but that is direction. The Spirit has taken up residence in you. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says the same thing. The Holy Spirit dwells in the believer. This great fact, along with the creation of a new nature, secures the reality that behavior changes because nature has changed. And again, I say what I said earlier. You can be a non-believer and act like a Christian. That's hypocrisy. But you can't be a believer and continually act like a non-believer. Your disposition doesn't allow it. Anyone not having the Holy Spirit does not belong to Christ. And if you have the Holy Spirit, then you are according to the Spirit, minding the things of the Spirit, walking in the Spirit toward life and peace. And ultimately, yes, verse 10 says, the body is dead because of sin. Your body's dying. All of ours, as we well know, 
The body is dead because of sin. The body is still the victim of its sinfulness. But our spirit is alive because of righteousness. We just need to get rid of these bodies, don't we? And that's what he says a little later in chapter 8. Look down in chapter 8, verse 23. Not only this, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit, the down payment on our future glory. Even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. So our spirits have already been transformed. We're waiting for the transformation of the body that is to come. And when will that come? Verse 11, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells within you. We're going to have a resurrection body that will be the work of the Holy Spirit who now dwells within us. He will give us a mortal body. What do you mean a mortal body? Well, it's, it's going to be a body of some physical nature, but, but eternal rather than temporal and perfect rather than sinful. How do we understand that body? Philippians chapter 3, verse 21. The Lord Jesus Christ will transform the body of our humble estate into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to Himself. We're going to have a body like His resurrection body. It was visible. It was powerful. It was seen by the disciples. It was touched. It will be a glorified body. We're not going to be disembodied spirits forever. We're going to have a body fit for eternal glory. So what the Spirit of God did in raising Christ from the dead, giving Him resurrection glory in a transformed body is exactly what the Spirit will do for us. So we're back to where we started. It is the Holy Spirit who gives us life. It is the Holy Spirit who grows us in the knowledge and wisdom of the things of God. It is the Holy Spirit who places us into the body of Christ. It is the Holy Spirit who inaugurates our battles with evil and with the kingdom of darkness and shows us the path of victory. It is the Holy Spirit as well who enables us to serve and minister and witness and give testimony. It is the Holy Spirit who will take us through death to resurrection and bring us to final glory. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. Our bodies are going to be changed. Read 1 Corinthians 15. There's an earthly body and there's a heavenly body and they are very different. So to understand this is basic, as I said, foundational Christianity. If you have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, if you've been given new life by the Spirit, if you're being taught wisdom and knowledge from the Word of God by the Holy Spirit, if you have been launched into the body of Christ, if you have been empowered for spiritual ministry and service, if you have been given the power to give witness, to, to give testimony to the Gospel to the ends of the earth, if you have been equipped to face death and are on the way to eternal life and resurrection, then you are a believer. And it will show itself in the fact that you think the things of the Spirit, they're on your mind because that's your nature, and you walk according to the Spirit because your behavior follows your nature. That's a real Christian. There's no way around it. Your character, the disposition of your life, the direction of your life, is 
the definition of your life. You can't avoid it. This calls for us to examine ourselves to see whether we'd be in the faith. So you say, what am I looking for? You're not looking for a past act or a past prayer or a past event or an emotional experience. The way you examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith is you look at your life and you say, is it obvious that I'm led by the Spirit because my affections are in the direction of God and righteousness? Is it obvious that I am indwelt by the Holy Spirit because I love the Lord, I love His church, I love His Word? It's obvious that the Spirit of God lives in me because I humble myself willingly before my Lord and I desire to obey His Word even though I don't obey as I should. If that is the bent of your life, that's not natural. That's not sinful. No, natural and sinful is that your mind is hostile toward God, right? That's natural. Your mind is hostile toward God. It does not subject itself to the law of God. It's not able to do so, and it doesn't please God because it can't and it has no particular desire to do that. So what is your desire that manifests itself in your character? If the Spirit is in you, you belong to Christ. And if the Spirit is in you and you belong to Christ, you have manifestly transformed affections, desires, longings, and loves. And that's what it means to be Christian. So examine yourself. Not a past event, not a past experience, but present character. Can it only be explained by the power of the Holy Spirit in you? Let's pray together. Lord, you, Your Word is so clear and so unmistakable. We need not be confused. It has a glory that is overwhelming. It has a consistency that is stunning. It is so obvious that this is the living and abiding Word of God. That though there are 66 books, there is one author. You, our God, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, have written Holy Scripture. And You have spelled it out in very clear terms. We can examine ourselves and know whether we're in the faith by the evidence of the presence of the Holy Spirit in a new nature with new loves, new longings, new aspirations, new ambitions to be pleasing to You, new affections, new hopes. We humble ourselves we eagerly obey You because that's our nature. That's who we are, that's how we think, and that's how we act. It's not to say we don't battle with the remaining flesh, and that's, that's inescapable. And that's why we wait for the redemption of the body when we can lose the flesh which fights against that new creation. May there be no one here who is at all confused about their condition. If they are without the Spirit, void of the Spirit, 
may it be manifestly obvious to them because they know their hearts and they know that the flesh and all its corruptions dominates. And may they flee to You for salvation. For those of us who see in our own lives the remarkable, miraculous, transforming work of the Holy Spirit that gives us love for things that are holy, that gives us humility, eagerness to bow before our glorious Lord God and Savior, obedience, a longing in our hearts to obey You. Part of that is even to worship You. Lord, reveal to us, to every one of us today, the true condition in which we exist, that there might be no doubts, no confusion. And we thank You for those of us who possess the Holy Spirit, who are according to the Spirit, minding the things of the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, and therefore walking in life and peace. We thank You for the joy of that, and we ask that You would increase our assurance through our faithfulness, and increase our gratitude as we express our worship to You even this day. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. You've been listening to John MacArthur, Bible Teacher with Grace to You. For free access to all of John's lessons and a listing of study Bibles and books available for sale, visit Grace to You's website at gty.org. And for details about the Master's University, where John serves as Chancellor, go to masters.edu. John MacArthur and Grace to You reserve all copyright protection under applicable law. Our copyright policy is available at gty.org, and it includes instructions for and limitations on duplicating this digital file.
sharpest of minds can't guess. They stand perplexed, can't fathom what you plan next. In the garden, we failed your commands test. We transgressed, now our world is a grand mess. Lord, you're perfect, so why should you demand less? Man's best is only a sinking sand quest. But through Christ, watch God's saving hand flex. Redeem the people north, south, east, and west. Glorious robes in the promised land dress. We stand blessed, all because of the Lamb's death. So as we're lifting up our praise to you, receive it, Lord. The object of our affection, whom we adore. Fallen in our misery, you daughter it into history. The pardon of iniquity, startling the mystery. Ocean, the plains, the mountains, the rain, the universe proclaims the glory of your name. And what am I that you called me to your side and took this heart of stone and broke it open wide? When is a day a day? This is Ken Ham, CEO of Answers in Genesis, Ark Encounter, and the Creation Museum. Many Christians believe the days in Genesis could be long periods of time, but that idea doesn't come from the Bible. It comes from outside influences, such as secular scientists' interpretations of rock layers. When you read Genesis, it's clear the days were 24 hours. Now, everywhere in the Old Testament where day is used with a number, or when the phrase evening and morning occurs, it always means a regular day. Also, Exodus chapter 20 says that God created everything in six days. That's why we work for six days and rest for one. We should never reinterpret God's clear words because of man's ideas. God's word must be our authority in all areas. Discover more about the age of the earth when you visit our website at AnswersRadio.com. Be encouraged to stand on God's word from the beginning at AnswersRadio.com. Haiti, the largest, most powerful earthquake in the region's history. The federal judge's ruling is allowed to stand. This year's national day of prayer could likely be the country's last. will be done. I'm off. As business happens. The number of people worldwide has reached one billion for the first time since 1970. On this day, a daily bread. And forget what just happened. A few moments ago, something crashed into the south tower of the World Trade Center. This is my Father's world, and to my listening ears, all nature sings and round me rings the music of the
and everything was very good. This is Ken Ham on a mission to call the church back to the authority of God's Word. At the end of Creation Week, God declared that everything He'd made was very good. Now, the Bible tells us every work of God is perfect. God's original creation was perfect. But that's not the world we see today. Adam's sin broke creation. It now groans because of sin. It's a broken, cursed creation, but with a remnant of beauty. Now, many Christians try to fit millions of years into Genesis, but this puts millions of years of death, suffering, and disease before sin. This idea denies that God's creation was ever very good and says God is responsible for death and suffering. It's sin that's the cause of death. Discover more about the true origin of death and suffering and the hope of the gospel at AnswersRadio.com. You'll be equipped and encouraged at AnswersRadio.com. I love to tell the story. It will be my theme and glory to tell. Fun scene things above 
A local Noah's Flood? This is Ken Ham, publisher of the award-winning family magazine called Answers. Sadly, many Christians try to add millions of years into Genesis. But inserting these long ages into the Bible before man appeared has many consequences. One of them is that you really can't believe in a global flood anymore. Now you see, the idea of millions of years comes from the belief that rock layers were laid down over very long ages. But a global flood would have ripped up all those layers. The waters would have redeposited them. So you have to abandon a global flood to believe in millions of years. But Genesis states all the high mountains under the whole of heaven were covered and all flesh died. Genesis is clear. There was a global flood. Want answers to your questions about the age of the earth, the flood, Noah's Ark, and more? Get answers at our award-winning website when you visit us at AnswersRadio.com. Hey, yo, they said it was over, man. They said it was over. But it ain't over. We just getting started. Yo, 7,000, we all at. Let's go. Tom 
times I listen, a lot of Christian hip-hop is missing. The proper vision is my suspicion. We drop the mission. Not to this, but the word of God is it not sufficient. The doctrine is that the gospel fixes our shock condition. God the Spirit supplies conviction through proper diction. Against the backdrop of our tradition, the gospel glistens. A squad of Christians go out and witness a God's commission. Cause Jesus Christ got the top position, no competition. Stand up, hands up. If you truly love the Son of Man, trust. Jesus is alive and his people he'll revive and his fame is going to spread across the land. What's up? Stand up, hands up. Does anybody love the Son of Man? Trust. Jesus is the King, so his people we will sing and forever stay worthy is the land. What's up? They want Jesus in the background like elevator music, but we gonna celebrate him, relegate him, we refuse it. They hate Christian hip-hop, I peep myself. They say we too redundant, well let me repeat myself. What I gotta say almost feels too real estate. Sit back and feel the weight of what a real estate. Cause yo, Jesus Christ got me in the real estate. I'm purchased property, I feel like I'm real estate. If the father wasn't gracious, no sin in him. Again, he came straight blameless, no sin in him. Again, nothing's been the same since, no sin in him. Again, fakers lack his fragrance, no sin in him. This is not the picture in a frame to still Jesus. Nah, we serve the rock, the harder than still Jesus. So how are we gonna be silent, let the world still Jesus? When the world and its trends pass away, it's still Jesus. Then, up, hands up, if you truly love the Son of Man, trust, Jesus is alive and his people he'll revive and his fame is going to spread across the land, what's up, stand up, hands up, does anybody love the Son of Man, trust, Jesus is the King, so his people we will sing and forever stay worthy is the land, what's up, Jesus believed in a young earth. This is Ken Ham, inviting you to visit the full-size Noah's Ark attraction in northern Kentucky. When Jesus was asked about marriage, he responded by quoting verses from Genesis. He said that, From the beginning, God made us male and female, and brought one man and one woman together in marriage. Now this reference shows that Jesus defines marriage according to Genesis, and that he believes Adam and Eve were historical people. And it also means Jesus taught a young earth, He said, from the beginning. But in an evolutionary worldview, humans haven't been around from the beginning. We supposedly arrived billions of years after the beginning. Genesis teaches that humans were created on day six. We've been around from the beginning, just like Jesus said. Discover answers to your questions about origins, creation, evolution, the age of the earth, and our Noah's Ark when you visit us at AnswersRadio.com. That's AnswersRadio.com. Let me start this off with a hallelujah to Jesus, the sovereign ruler. This is not a rumor. Got the truth, so we about to school you. Check out a style maneuver. Shout it to you like the loudest group. Christ brought us up from out the sewer. We don't have to doubt the future. Crafting our verses as we bask in his worship. You asking the purpose, partly to fetch cash from the furnace. Through Jesus' extravagant service, immaculate purchase. He was smashing the serpent, and we only scratching the surface. He proceeded was conceived in the womb of a virgin. The sun emerges in the manger while the angels serenade him. It's the birth of the Savior, the greater angel. Became a man, came as a lamb, and would be executed to execute the plan to substitute the sand. In the place of the wicked on the cross, he was lifted, but we considered him stricken and afflicted. 
afflicted just like the prophets predicted. He came at the proper moment to stop his opponent and lay down his life to offer atonement. He's the most magnificent, the total antithesis of insufficient, the blessed, the glorious, splendid, transcendent, difficult to comprehend, independent of space and time, but presently present, suspending the heavens with speech. From coast to coast, he speaks peace to wind and seas, got heavenly hosts easily posted on bended knees, controls the cosmos with the most authority, so we both in the most exalted King Christ supreme. He's the sovereign thriller, the awesome healer, the law fulfiller, the solemn killer, the fraud revealer, no God is realer, yeah. When you're taking your time in the scripture, which again is a prominent picture, see his light shining bright in the night, and his fright in the might, and a diamond in the mixture, see his name at all the renown, though, when he came for the lost that he found, low. he was tamed and floss all around, but remained for the manger, the cross, or the crown, yo, Satan had a trick hold on him, fight for the rope, but open in, all to the eyes of the S to the E to the N, that's what we hoping in. Riffing on his spell check, the riffing king can rinse clean, the most rebellious, I was hell bound, now I'm spellbound, word is born, I'm a bond servant to the word of life, uh, call me a sellout, I was fought with a price, we gotta hope they won't fail us when we return to the dust, we will rise up just like the one who justified us, it's not wishful thinking when the truth's sinking, we are clinging to the promises that God bringing an everlasting kingdom. Nothing can compare to the worth of what we inherited, nothing in heaven known earth can measure what Christ merited, the skies declare the affairs of his glorious care, the God who is there, who's aware, who delights in our prayer, his purposes are permanent and perfectly proportionate, everything that orbits around his glory subordinate, he is the most excellent one, intrinsic, infinite son, preeminent the name par excellence, prenom, phenomenon. He's beyond phenomenon, you see, the father of cosmology, the abba of astronomy, he's potter, we are pottery, it's shocking Jesus died for me, the father, he adopted me and constantly provides for me, whether or not I got degrees, you gotta see his odyssey, from sovereignty and lottery, to poverty and robbery, to resurrected bodily, apocalyptic prophecy, he's stopping all the mockery and scholarly snobbery that don't acknowledge him properly. You ought to be on bended knee before the preeminent, it's awfully arrogant to reject him to your detriment, study the development from Old to New Testament, you'll find a theme that's prevalent from age to age, it's relevant, crisis on its center stage, forget religious sentiments, the center on man, but something less is what you're settling, he is the most excellent, exercising benevolence and blessing a remnant with the benefits of his inheritance. Yeah. The sin of sinners that separated and segregated, that severed the relations between man and his maker, and placed Christ on his costly cross, and compensated his life, death, and resurrection, emancipated, and gave us freedom from it all, freedom from the effects of the fall, freedom from Adam and Eve in the garden of Eden, and from the law, so the saints stand and applaud his grace and glorious cause, with hands raised, praising his name, singing glory to God. <laughs> Just a difference of interpretation? This is Ken Ham, co-author of the book on Noah's Flood, A Flood of Evidence. When I talk to people about the age of the earth, creation, and literal Genesis, I'm often told that's just my interpretation of Genesis. People will claim there are lots of different interpretations, so we'll just have to agree to disagree. But that's not really the issue. When you read Genesis and the rest of the Bible, you won't find any hint of millions of years. Genesis is written as historical narrative, and the New Testament authors all took it as literal history. The only place you get millions of years is from outside the Bible. So it's not about interpretation. It's about whether or not you'll take God at his word. 
Get answers to your questions about Genesis, the truth of God's Word, and more when you visit our website at AnswersRadio.com. You'll be equipped at AnswersRadio.com. And this to you, I really hope you hear my heart When thinking about describing you, I really don't know where to start Can't start at the beginning, cause you are before the beginning Way before the beginning, and this fallen world's distorted opinions It was just the holy trinity, ruling from infinity Glory blazed tremendously, loving one another endlessly Billions and billions of years ago, outside of what we know as time Nobody else was there to know, but Lord, here's the thing that blows my mind As long ago as that was Long ago as that was, you have not changed, Lord, oh Lord, 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 as long ago, as long ago, as long ago as that was, you're still the same, you have not changed, what can that mean, but my God is immutable, immutable, you are beautiful, you never change, you remain the Not just because of what you do, but simply because of who you are There's none like you in existence, you are God and you need no assistance Even though we show you resistance, you said Jesus to close the distance That existed between God and man, according to your sovereign plan We changed many times in one lifespan, I've changed even since this song began Lord, I'm so glad that you're not like us, all that you do will certainly last You are the rock that we can trust, shows us back in eternity past As long ago as that was, as long ago as that was have not changed, Lord, oh Lord, 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 as long ago, as long ago, as long ago as that was, you're still the same, you have not changed, what can that mean, but my God is immutable, immutable, you are beautiful, you never change, you remain the same, immutable, About my ups and downs, all of my inconsistencies, all of my idiosyncrasies, still you pursue relentlessly. At times I wonder how this can be. Surely it's because of the cross, where Jesus paid the full penalty and bore the burden of sin's great cost. I'm saved by grace and faith in God. I look to Christ and I trust He died. So even though I'm being sanctified, I can't be any more justified. His work is finished, that cannot change. And with this knowledge, I am free. Forever this grace, it will remain because of what happened on Calvary. As long ago as that was. Long ago as that was, you have not changed, Lord, oh Lord, Lord, Lord. As long ago, as long ago, as long ago as that was, you're still the same, you have not changed. What can that mean, but my God is immutable. Immutable, you are. 
that was Shining with Readable, and you can find out more about him at lampload.com, L-A-M-P-M-O-D-E dot com, and lampload.com. And now, this is from Wretched, what is God doing to you from the coronavirus? With Todd Friel. Be warned. I'm having an idea. This is Wretched Radio. I have no text to back this up. This is hopefully sanctified speculation. You guys just cheer my heart with your encouragement. I'm thinking about difficulties and storms and diseases and unemployment and viruses and how God uses all these things for his glorious ends. Don't forget, he is using these things for the unbeliever in different ways than he does for the believer. To the unbeliever, he is even now pouring out his wrath, or he is calling them to repentance. For the Christian, we've always stated, because we know this biblically, that God, he uses sin sinlessly, or he causes sinless calamities and difficulties to discipline us to do what? One, prepare us for ministry to others. Two, to grow us in Christ-likeness. Now, here is the practical challenge to this. Let's just say that you are, you're afraid of the coronavirus. This has caused fear in you. All right, now you're trying to figure out, so what is God trying to do with that for me? Let's say you get the coronavirus. You get the flu and you're lying in your bed, shaking and trembling with the sweats and the chills all at the same time, and you're trying to figure out, Lord, what are you doing in my life? What good thing are you trying to create in me? How are you making me more like Jesus Christ when I am sweating and freezing simultaneously? Now, here's, here's, here's the problem with that. It's not that you're asking the wrong question. It's just that sometimes discerning the answer can be difficult. How do you do that? You read your Bible. You learn about other people going through similar things. Can I, can I learn from their life lessons? Two, I can try to apply all of the teachings in the Bible to see what God could be doing. Third, I let my conscience convict me. I look at it and go, you know what? Now that I think about it, whoa, I have been consuming more and more vitamins. I've been worried more and more about my health. I'm going to the gym constantly. Uh, I think I've got a health idol. Now, please note, I'm not saying don't take vitamins or go to the gym or eat right. That's, that's not the point, obviously. But it's become an idol. It's become a passion. Could it be that God is saying, you know what, stop. You're, you're, you're trying to create your own fountain of youth. You need to rely on me for your breath. You need to rely on me for your health. I want to correct your thinking that somehow you're going to keep yourself alive. That doesn't mean that you don't do good things to take care of your temple. Not saying that. I am saying God could be smashing what has become an idol. And that might become clear to you, and you walk away from it, and now you take your vitamins, go to the gym and eat right, not thinking, okay, I'm going to save myself or prolong my life. I'm doing this because it's a gift from God, and I want to take care of the machinery that he has given to me. Cool! But there's another way that you can discern these things. Your family and your church family. 
your, your, your relatives in your home might be able to point it out to you, and godly brothers and sisters in the church might be able to help you say, well, you know, here's what I've noticed in your life, and you can say, Lord, if that's what you're trying to teach me, I submit, I surrender, I'm going to get with your program. But this was my thought. What if you can't figure it out, you can't connect it? Some evangelicals have gotten wonky at this point. So what do they do? They, they, they sit and they wait. Okay, God, tell me. Like, tell me. Give me that thought. No, that's, that's not the way that he would operate. We have to find out through the word, through his people, through preaching, through teaching, through our conscience. So that, 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 that wouldn't be the right way to figure it out because feelings are so fallible. It, it, it wouldn't be to throw out a fleece to try to get a sign. Okay, Lord, give me a sign. Okay, I've got a sore throat, and I'm driving down the freeway, and there is an ad for an ENT, ear, nose, and throat doctor, and it's Dr. Lovelace. Hey, I've got a throat problem. The doctor's name has love in it. I'm not being as loving as I should. Wrong. That's, that's, that's not the way you discern what God is doing. There can be times when you don't know. And so perhaps you've heard people say, we'll find out in eternity. And that perhaps isn't satisfying. It should, but perhaps it isn't. Here's my thought. What is God doing with your coronavirus, cancer, unemployment, wayward children? We know for a fact that he's using these things for our good, even when we cannot discern them. In other words, God is actually working on us without us even being aware of what he is doing. Every experience shapes you in some way, whether you are cognizant of it or not. Not to get all Freudian, but your parents, they influenced you, how you were brought up, that has molded you and shaped you. It is the nurture element of, of, of what we are observing all the time. God does something for you. It's a head cold, and you can't figure out what the connection is, what he's trying to do. You've exhausted all of those aforementioned resources, and you can't get it. You can rest in this. He's doing something. He is. You, you can't identify it. You can't figure out it, but I promise you, he's changing you and shaping you in it. And now it can be, it can be in a good direction or a bad direction. The good direction is he's just making you sweeter. Maybe, just maybe, without you being aware of it, here's just a scenario. You've been a cantankerous sort. You're, you're just a crabby person. God sends something your way that's hard. I'm not sure why you're smirking, Tony. I am don't a cantankerous point person. <laughs> point oh, no, I am cantankerous. Yeah. Okay. So, but you know what? I would say this. Struggles that you've gone through have undoubtedly made you less cantankerous, and you maybe don't even know it, but God is doing it. He is affecting change on you without your awareness because he doesn't waste a thing. Nothing is, 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 is just because or it ricochets and it didn't work because that would be the negative side of what it's doing for you. It, it could be hardening an area. It, it could be causing you to lose some rewards. And it, it, it could be causing you to become insensitive, leading you into more sin, which is going to require a more severe rod to discipline you. He's not wasting it. Believe me, it's not going to, to no end because we can't figure it out. So just know that. You've recovered now from your head cold. You can't figure out what that was all about. Know that it was all about something good for you. 
Know that. Believe that. Trust that. Just because you can't identify it doesn't mean it wasn't for your good. All right. So, gentlemen, there's my thought du jour. It's also the thought of the day. Eh? Or eh? Meh. <laughs> 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 what? Yeah. What's wrong with my... You don't think that God is doing something with your head cold? I absolutely believe he is. Are you... And So if you do, and you're not aware of it, it's got to be a good thing. It's got to be doing something for you that he's working out for good. Otherwise, it wouldn't happen. That does not mean you shouldn't try to figure it out. I think that can accelerate your sanctification process, but on the days when you can't, you can still say, thank you for my head cold, Lord because I know you're doing something good in it. Idea at wretched.org. Idea at wretched.org. Todd, can you please give me the name of preborn.org slash wretched so that I can support the ministry that does ultrasounds for free, saves babies, and preaches the gospel to mommies and daddies? My, most certainly. We'll leave this one anonymous. You can do that at preborn.org slash wretched. Preborn.org slash wretched. 28 bucks buys an ultrasound. 80% of the time, mom chooses life because she sees her baby. I was reading. I should have probably made a better mental note of this. It was, it was, it was a piece of legislation that, that in some state, I believe, demanded that even Planned Parenthood use ultrasounds. And so they must. But here's the catch. They don't have to show the image to the mom. Ah! They know what's in there. So the good of that would be? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. That's why I was like, what in the world is that? Then that's the, Because that is the power of ultrasound. You see what you know intuitively to be true. It's a baby. 80% of the time, they choose life. I got to spend some time with Dan Steiner at the NRB. Well, I would see it teach them diligently. NRB and teach them diligently were going on at the same time at the Gaylord Hotel in Nashville. I went to both of those. And, and, and I got to spend some time with, with Dan Steiner. Great brother, so efficient, so determined. Two things, save babies, save mommies and daddies with the gospel. It's a great ministry. Support it, please, if you can. Preborn.org slash wretched. Thanks for that letter, Anonymous. <clears throat> Send your emails to idea at wretched.org. Actually, the conference at the, at the Gaylord Hotel, the, the Teach Them Diligently conference, it was actually a joy. It's a massive hotel. Last year, we went to the Teach Them Diligently conference. It was a veritable nightmare. Maybe you remember, if you've been sticking around with us long enough, they were doing the, the Jean Benet Ramsey competition with all the little girls dressed up with the, the, the garish makeup and the yeah, sexualized the clothes. And the dads. There were thousands and thousands of them, and a lot of clueless dads wandering around looking like they'd been hit with a stun gun. Oh, I guess I'm just here because it makes everybody happy. Fail. And so you've got those kids running around and the homeschool conference going on at the same time. Ying, meet Yang. Probably not a it whole lot of overlap. a clam bake. It was much better this year. Thanks for asking. Preborn.org slash wretched. This is Wretched Radio. Like I said, that was Wretched, from Wretched. Uh, that's from the radio show, uh, also known as podcast. And you can find out more about them at wretched.org. Wretched.org. And 
Here's some more from Richard. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Uh-oh, is this another way you're wasting your coronavirus? This is Wretched Radio. You decide to venture out of your quarantine zone. You spy some neighbors walking down the street. You're thinking, let's keep it six feet, people. Nevertheless, they pass by. You stop. And you have a little chit-chat. Perhaps it sounds a little something like this. Hey, how you doing? You getting out much? Nice to be outside, isn't it? Do you think the hot air will kill the coronavirus? Do you have enough toilet paper? How are you getting along with the kids? Does it sound like that? Or does your concern that somebody might get coronavirus or cancer or heart disease and die and go to hell are any of our conversations with the people that we still interact with are are any of them eternal are any of them spiritual are any of them motivated by our concern that somebody will die and go to hell forever where they will not be separated from god god will not be distant he's going to be right there and it's not going to be pleasant for people Don't waste your coronavirus. There are a number of verses about hell, describing it as an unquenchable fire, Matthew 3, 12. 13, 42, it's a fiery furnace, Matthew 25, 41, it's an eternal fire. Mark 9, 43 says the fire never goes out, it's an unquenchable fire. In Luke 3, 17, 16, 24, there's agony in that fire. Jude 1, 7 says it is punishment in eternal fire. That should cause us to alter our conversations and perhaps guide them to something spiritual. This is always the challenge in evangelism. It's moving from conversations about stockpiling toilet paper into the gospel. How do you get there? Answer, coronavirus. Hey, may I ask you, I've been wanting to do this for the longest time, neighbor, Now that we're all maybe thinking a little bit more about our own mortalities, have you given any thought to yours? you got to do it. Look, people just are not going to walk up to us. Ding dong. Hello? Who who is it? Now, see, I'm standing. Don't talk to me unless the door is closed. So we're just going to have to talk through the door, Joey, because I don't want to be without my social distancing. What, What is it that you would like today, Joey, my neighbor, who's not a believer in Jesus Christ? I was wondering if you had a cup of toilet paper to share. <laughs> Did y'all see Gabe Hughes' video, Mister What? What? Uh, what would uh, when we understand the text? WWUTT. <laughs> he's, he's a pastor in Kansas, I believe, is his town. And he's sitting at his desk, and the question of the video is, what are these people doing with all of this toilet paper? So he's sitting at his pastoral study, and he uh, 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 grabs a full roll of toilet paper, sneezes into it, and then throws it away over his shoulder. What are we going to do? Somebody memed, in 2025, on this date, little Johnny says, we're done with the last roll. People might come and ask you for toilet paper, but they're not going to come and ask you, what must I do to escape the eternal flames of hell where there's agony and weeping and gnashing of teeth? 
where while I will experience the unmitigated wrath of God, who will not be separated from me in presence, but only via mediation. In other words, I am going to get the angry side of God continually, relentlessly in heaven. You'll get the sweet, good side of God, if I can phrase it that way, because of the mediatorial work of Jesus Christ. You're not going to get that ding-dong. You're not going to get that question. Are we wasting our coronavirus, as long as we're talking about hell? From Jonathan Edwards, to help your conception of what hell is, imagine yourself to be cast into a fiery oven or into the midst of a great furnace. How's about this? You get stuffed into a microwave. Really stuffed, because you're probably a little bigger than the square footage of your microwave. And somebody goes to push the buttons where your pain would be as much greater than that occasion by accidentally touching a coal of fire because the heat is greater in hell. Imagine also that your body were to lie there for a quarter of an hour full of fire, as full as a bright coal of fire, all the while full of quick sense. What horror would you feel at the entrance of such a furnace? And how long would that quarter of an hour seem to you? If it were to be measured by the hourglass, how long would the glass seem to be running? And after you had endured one minute, how unbearable would it be for you to think that you had yet to endure the other 14 minutes? That getting vivid enough for you? You're in Christ. You're not going to experience that. But your neighbor not in Christ is. Have you taken the time to look at death statistics? I have. In what appears to be an increasing debate, we'll see how these numbers ultimately shake out. What are the percentages? What are the odds? Is it 2.5 death ratio? How does it compare to the Is it 0.06? In Italy, it's this. In what is it going to turn out to be? We'll find out eventually. But perhaps in your studies, you started looking at the death rates from other things, from other viruses like the flu and you learn that there's 80,000 deaths a year. I think that's the number from the flu in the United States every year. What? Did you know that? I, I, maybe I'm off on the number, but it's like tens of thousands from the flu. And that's a drop in the death bucket. Look up cancer. And, and I think that it, it's 600,000 and some people die every year from cancer. Joey, I don't know if you can like do a quick, what's like the number one killer in America, the death statistic from 2019? I was shocked. And you know what the number one death cause is? Heart disease. All, whatever it is, just all different kinds of heart. It's like millions of, what? And I was shocked at those numbers. I shouldn't be. 150,000 people die on this planet every single day. You got them, Joey? Uh, yep. Uh, these are two, two, uh, 2017 numbers. Uh, close enough. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, heart disease, 647,000. Cancer, 599,000. Uh, unintentional injuries, 169,000. <laughs> okay. Uh, chronic lower respiratory disease, 160,000. Okay, we get the point. People are dropping like flies all around us. And not to become maudlin or obsessed with death, that's inappropriate. But when I was reading those numbers, it's like, gasp? That's going on all around us. Car accidents was, was a staggering number of people who, not a, the number of people who died, I think, was less than 10,000. But the number of people with permanent injuries from a car accident, shocking number. Am I letting those numbers do something to me 
for me, to help me. Look, it is good that we gasp and go, oh, that's terrible. Uh, It's sort of like seeing a man without a coat going, I'm freezing over here. Oh, that's a bummer, and we don't give him a coat. I believe that would be your James, too. Well, what kind of a faith is that? What, what What kind of outworking does our concern actually generate? Jonathan Edwards. But what would be the effect on your soul if you knew that you must lie there enduring that torment of the full for 24 hours? How much greater would be the effect if you knew you must endure it for a whole year, a thousand years? Oh, then how would your heart sink if you thought, if you knew that you must bear it forever and ever? Christian, you don't have to because Jesus did. That he, as Bodhibakum said, would let you slide. He took it for you. And that should be our other motivator, not just oh, no, my neighbor could get coronavirus and die, but I don't have to experience eternal death that my neighbor is going to because of Jesus. That should compel us to reach out no closer than six feet and witness to somebody. We have an opportunity to do that right now. I can't help but think again. Is this possibly an answer to the prayers that so many of us have offered up? Lord, give me the opportunity to preach the gospel. I wonder if God is just, here you go, and you're not doing anything with it. Let's not waste our coronavirus. The sinner's torment in hell will be immeasurably greater than this illustration represents. Remember, illustrations are not as bad as the actual You say, well, this is like that. And we all agree, every analogy, every metaphor, it limps in some way. Of course it does, because it's not the real thing. Unless you're using hyperbole, an exaggeration, the illustration is never as great as the actual. So when Jesus said, it's a lake of fire, you go, well, you know, are the people really going to be swimming in a lake of sulfur? It might be literal. But even if it's not, it's not nearly as bad as the actual. Hell is eternity in the presence of God without a mediator. Heaven is eternity in the presence of God with a mediator. You've got an eternity with a mediator. Your unsaved neighbor does not. And today, they are thinking, at least in part, about coronavirus, death, and eternity. The question for us is, will we waste our coronavirus? This is Wretched Radio. Welcome to a world without wretched. Nobody wants this. Please become a Wretched Gospel Partner. They're showing a, a piece of toast with a guy putting butter on it. So no one wants this. Uh, but you, you can go to wretched.org, wretched.org. And also that radio thing, they also show on YouTube different clips. And so check that out. It's wretched, W-R-E-T-C-H-E-D, wretched. 
And it's going to be Must Control here on Trippy Toll Radio. And I'm going to play a song for you. Yeah, man, it's crazy how time flies. My mind tries to sit still, thinking how does one define wise? Feels like yesterday I was a newcomer, fresh in the game, ready to make the truth thunder. But as the beat plays, they lose wonder. After a few summers, the band's ready for a new drummer. Doesn't matter if you're not ready yet. Yesterday I was a cadet, now they call me a vet. But it's part of common sense that the artist time will end. To the young, this topic can be hard to comprehend. They don't come close to understanding How you can go from most demanded To abandoned in the ocean stranded Surrounded by the waves of your weariness Some things you only learn from age and experience And it's plain to me that all the famous men you see The time is coming when they will be a faded memory Cause one day you hot, the next day you not One day you on top, next day you get dropped Yeah, what in the world was your mind thinking? You couldn't see the sand of time sinking Cause one day you hot, the next day you not One day you on top, next day you get dropped, yeah Better plan for the future, kid Time catches up to everyone, no matter who yeah. it is Whatever happened to so-and-so, that's what they wanna know Eventually we learn that they all come and go Today's rising star, tomorrow dies with scars Today they all struck, tomorrow you washed up I remember watching Jordan's Hall of Fame speech Thinking this is what it's like to watch the lame reach and gasp But he tries to grasp what lies in the past Never to return, what lies in the past Did he tell himself, was he lost or sober? Did he know it was all but over? The moment that AI crossed him over If I could be like, didn't include dying light Let's shine the light on the one they call Iron Mike Nowadays he's known for being all weird But back in 88, nobody was more feared at the peak of his powers, his opponents would retreat in moments he would eat and devour. Snuffed with punches, but we must discuss this. Crushed it just enough to trust his toughness. Pride brings us to justice. You puffed up with smugness? You gonna meet Buster Douglas. Amazing that, which blazed like petrol. The new praise that made the waves in the metros. Was praised for days, but just a phase like retros. And fades like echoes. Echoes, echoes, echoes. Cause one day you hot, the next day you not One day you on top, next day you get dropped, yeah What in the world was your mind thinking? You couldn't see the sand of time sinking Cause one day you hot, the next day you not One day you on top, next day you get dropped, yeah Better plan for the future, kid Time catches up to everyone, no matter who it is What I'm speaking on is seriously welcomed by the few Even no experience to tell you that it's true On your radio station, this won't be found on the playlist Wisdom, the sound of the sages, resounding for ages The older I get, I notice it The whole of the script, hmm, it's found in the pages A holy writ, not the cash speech of 
of the reverence But what a man sees under heaven Ecclesiastes 111 No matter who you are, death aims to stop ya Whether banker, doctor, or Frank Sinatra Before your time is done, meet the timeless one The dying, death-defying, rising, shining sun King Jesus astounds and amazes He pounded the pavement to save those who were bound to their cages So let us praise the one who made the Everglades Our debt was paid, so in glory we'll never fade Never fade, never fade truthbetoldradio.com that is t-r-u-t-h-b-e-t-o-l-d r-a-d-i-o dot c-o-m truthbetoldradio.com Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or want to tell us anything? Send those emails to truthbetoldradioshow at gmail.com Remember, by sending us your email, you give us permission to read it on the air. So write us at truthbetoldradioshow at gmail.com. If you like to read blogs, we've got you covered. Check out ours at truthbetoldradio.blogspot.com. That's truthbetoldradio.blogspot.com. Also, follow us on Twitter as truth, the letter B, then told radio. That is T-R-U-T-H-B-T-O-L-D-R-A-D-I-O. Once again, that is truth. The letter B only, not B-E, told radio. This is due to the restraints for Twitter's username link. Finally, to learn the testimony of Melissa Canchoa, the hostess of Truth Be Told Radio, see smilesandstuff.com. That's S-M-I-L-E-S-A-N-D-S-T-U-F-F dot C-O-M. Smilesandstuff.com. So stay social with us, and thanks for listening to Truth Be Told Radio. how we got for Truth Be Told Radio uh, twice next Sunday and I'm going to go out with Yanti and a friend and the VR really. Bye for now.